Hi, Linda Phils here. Welcome to my show where I will be sharing with you the strangest secrets to spiritual and professional success and productivity. So let's get started. Until just a few months ago in my life is much richer for that. Um, when I just uh, think about the leaders in the room, and I'll just tell you from the beginning, I believe God is doing a work in Rockford that is a prototype. And I'm paying real close attention because I want to be able to take this and take it other places in the United States and in the world. You see, I have this little life verse. Uh, how many of you have a life verse? Raise your hand. Okay, we need to work on that. Um, and mine is Daniel 11, 32, and 33. And it says, the people who know their God. The people, which people? The people who know their God will have strength and take action and do great exploits. And, you know, marketplace people read that and they're like, yeah, we're going to go conquer the seven mountains of society. We're going to go conquer the world. And we head out to the end of the verse to do the great exploits. I tried that about 30 years ago. It got about six inches. And the Lord says, let's just look at that verse again. And he said, let's, let's just come back to the beginning. And I'm like on the take action, great exploits, bring insight. And, and he's, yeah, he's like, yeah. He said, and that's going to be the people who know their God. Now, I've been saved since I was seven. And I was raised in a preacher's home. And I learned to love the Lord and to pray very early in my life. But there is always more of God to know. And so the Lord set me aside for about 10 years on my back patio with my Bibles and my uh, journals. I came and went from uh, work, which I loved, and the Lord allowed me to minister there as well as in my church. But I started getting to know God on a deeper level. Sometimes we act like that is so high and mighty that we could never know God. Now there's always more of God. I've got a long way to go. I'm just getting started. But I want to know God in the fullest sense of the word. I want the fullness of God. And so it's a goal of mine to know God, and as I do that, to reach the many. And when I hear of the many, I see throngs of people in the world. I see throngs of people in the marketplace hungry to know they have a calling before, from God that counts for eternity. We're going to unpack that today. And I, I know that there'll be a time. We're fortunate that we're in a a building this size and a crowd this size, you can come down here and get hands laid on you. We can bring Nick up here and have all the men come, and that's important. But there's going to be a day that this has to go forth by impartation on a much larger scale because the hour is growing darker, but the light is shining brighter, and the things I'm about are unto igniting, helping ignite a marketplace awakening. So that's where I want to go. And I'm excited because I think God's doing that right here in Rockford and the whole region and beyond in a strategic way. And I want to help multiply that out to other regions. I've got several other regions where there are various stages of development, but you guys are ahead of the curve. So hurry up so we can get the whole model. And uh, let's transform this place. Let's watch God's power transform this place. And uh, I love how many... Uh, well, just raise your hand if you're from a different church than this church right here. Wow, look at that. That is half of us. That's incredible. That's incredible. So uh, let's just say, Father, use this time. Uh, Joe, thank you for your prayer. Uh, all of us, uh, you know, on the inside, I need you to sit up on the edge of your seat. Because I didn't come here just to give you a bunch of facts or tickle your ears with stories. We could do that, but so what? It's so that you can sit up on the edge of your seat. 
get what God has for you right now and take it home with you. And that's my goal. So are we agreed on that goal? Is that okay? All right. Okay, let's see if we can get some slides up here. Can we? Not right now. So um, that's all right. So I'm going to tell you about a couple of resources back there. I'm all about resourcing people. You know what? It's one thing for us to come up here and lay hands on Nick. It's something else for someone to say, Nick, I want to meet with you every week. We're going to meet for 45 minutes. We're going to do Find Your Wife Forward Study. There's some place to start. If you don't have material, I have teacher's kits back there, books, workbooks. Uh, nine basic lessons to get your life organized. How many of you are tired of going from conference to conference, hearing a great word, getting all excited, and going home for Monday to be at business as usual? No more. We don't have time for business as usual. And so um, this goes back to my asking you to set up on the edge of your seat. So there are some resources back there. If you don't have any, those are good. If you have them, use what you have. But you need to do something that helps you dig in, and I mean dig in, to what God has for your life. Now, is it all about God? Yeah, but you know what? It's all about you too. It's kind of a, a, a paradigm here that you got to get your head straight with. Here's why. Some people say it's all about God, therefore they never develop their own vision, and they never get legs under the things that they're supposed to do by doing something like that and uh, getting feet to your vision. And guess what? There's some help, self-help stuff out there. There's different ways to do that. But some people get totally self-absorbed because they don't go all the way through the, the, whole, uh, the whole timeline. What they do is just get stuck on themselves. God wants you to know why he made you. God wants you to know how you're wired. God wants you to develop your skills spiritually, professionally, personally, in every way. And then he wants you to have legs under that with a plan to run. And then... He wants you to be able to impact your sphere of society. And that's what I've written about in this book right here. Because until you anchor your vision unto the greater expression of it, and who's going to benefit from you living out your vision, you have only gone half of the journey. And so I'm pretty passionate about, um, about this whole thing. And I'm just, can I just go ahead, guys? I'm going to go, and they can catch up with us. Okay, so 7-Impact. Why the name 7-Impact? This is the name I'm using right now because God has given it to me. And it has to do with impacting seven mountains of society. Um, How many of you are involved in government in any way, or at least you're really interested in it? Just raise your hand. Government. Okay, couple. Uh, So you're probably on city councils or commissions, and you pay close attention to that. You pray for the government. You care about the government. How many of you are in business in any way, shape, or form? You own a business or you work for a business? Okay, there's 33% of us maybe. How many of you are educators, administrators, teacher's aides? Somehow you are involved in school. Schooling? Right there? Yep, got a school. Okay. How many of you devote your full-time to your family? Okay, awesome. How many of you are full-time clergy or preachers? That is your uh, occupation. Okay, love it. Beautiful mix. Do you see how God has you divinely positioned throughout all of society? These seven mountains, some people call them seven spheres. Uh, They're the places that we just come and go from and do life, okay? And that's where we uh, encounter other people who actually need to see what Jesus looks like with skin on. And so in the past, we've had people 
um, take an approach with their marketplace where they just say, I'm going to try to invite everyone to the church dinner or try to get everyone to come to church with me on Sunday. That's a good thing. But if you're waiting for that to influence them, you've got a long, hard job and a very low success rate. But if you turn the lights on when you go into work Monday through Friday, if you're looking at somebody and really hearing their heart, if you're taking time to take a meal to someone who's been sick, if you're uh, just asking the Lord to help you be sensitive every day as you go to your church, as you take the church into the marketplace, do you see how much faster this thing could go? And so part of the problem is that we have gotten this wrong message. There's a couple of falsehoods I want to expose. One's the sacred versus secular falsehood. We uh, in the Western world have gotten the idea that those who work in the marketplace, and I'm just using marketplace as a broad term, you work somewhere and you're not um, a full-time preacher. That's the marketplace for the sake of our discussion today. We've gotten this idea that if we're out there, we are not in full-time ministry. How many of you have struggled with that argument at some point in your life? Okay, let's just be honest. And so uh, the falsehood is that the only full-time Christians are the preachers. Now, is that right? Okay, so when you start saying, you know what, I have a calling. Can you say that? I have a calling. It is in the marketplace, if that's you. Stand up if you're in the marketplace. Let me see who I'm talking to. If you work outside the church, somehow, some way. Okay, you guys and gals, say, I have a calling. It is in the marketplace to bring God's presence in my place of assignment. Okay, now preachers, do y'all see the, these people? Now, y'all stay standing. Preachers, I need you to stand up and turn around and look at these people. I want you to extend your hand to them. Preachers are extending hands to the marketplace. And say, I bless you, preachers. I bless you in your full-time calling and assignment. Preachers, if y'all are preachers, y'all can do louder than that. (laughs) Or else I'm not coming to your church. Okay, let's try that again. Pastors, ready? All right, look at these marketplace people. I bless you you. in the name of the Lord to fulfill your calling calling. in the marketplace. marketplace. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody sit down. And all God's people said. So when you start understanding you have a calling, that's huge. That's huge because you don't want to waste any time. You know, when God looks at you, when you sail into eternity... And uh, he looks at you, and he looks in your eyes, and he starts asking you about your life. You know what? All those people that tried to get you to do something else, they don't get to be there with you. They're not going to have a voice. The Lord's going to look at each one of us individually and say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I called you to accomplish? And when I go, here's my thing. I want the Lord to say, girl, you may have tripped on the way in. You may have made a big mess. You may have not done it just right. But you know what? You attempted everything I had your name on. And um, that the Lord would say, well done, well done. You went for it. You went for it, girl. You went for it, man. And so this is what this is about. That's why there's a seriousness of the hour that we are in. 
Now, this whole uh, sacred secular thing uh, was dispelled back in the Reformation when uh, we had, let's go forward a little bit here. Awesome. Divine calling. Yes. We already got that straight. Then, this is the quick class, I understand. Next one. Got that. Next one. Ah, okay. This is just a little, uh, having a little fun with it right here. Have you ever heard someone kind of look at you and and, uh, they hear what you're doing? I'm going to use Roy and Isabella as an example. They're starting this school for training medical technicians. And what if somebody looks at them and and well-meaning perhaps but not so informed from the ministry realm and says, you know what, Roy and Isabella, you'd be great ministers. You need to go to the mission field. You need to... Uh, you need to do all these things. And Roy goes, no, but we got a, we got a school. Isabel is a pharmacist. We got a school. We're training people. We're doing our assignment. And so then the, the religious person says, well, that's awesome. Well, maybe what you could do is have a little Bible study at noon. Now, is there anything wrong with a Bible study at noon? It's a great thing. But do you know that when we accept these lies, it reduces the dignity of the calling of our work? The things God calls you to do well include Bible study, but they go far beyond. Uh, God was working. Adam and Eve were working in the garden. God got it established, created the animals, handed them the work, and said, now take dominion. Go do it. You go do it. And so um, I think dispelling this whole sacred versus uh, secular dilemma is critical, not only for you to own it, but for you to be able to help other people own it. When I look at you, I'm not just looking at each person. I'm thinking how many people are in your circle of influence, in your church, in your community, in your city. And so you are God's agent on assignment to take this thing out and understand that there's dignity in work. Let's go. Ah, one more fact I want you to get right here. Did you know that the root of the word vocation is uh, vocari? Latin, vocari, which means to call, to call. So just say with me, my work is a calling. Yeah. And so what you want to do is you want to run in your calling, not the calling of the person next to you. And you want to find out from the Lord validation of this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to do it. This is my assignment. And you want to run in what I call your power alley. Hey, slides, guy. Hello. Let's go. (laughs) Pay attention. So you want to be equipped. And so what happened a while ago? The preacher stood up, and they exemplified Ephesians 4 by just giving you a word of blessing, didn't they? Okay? How'd that feel? Do you like that? Do you feel seen all of a sudden? Do you feel a little more like hold your head up? Like, yeah, I am going to be an occupational therapist. I am going to be a psychologist, you know, and, and this is my calling. Um, millennials, I'm going to sprinkle in some facts about millennials today because we have a large emphasis on that as the Lord has highlighted the need to launch millennials. And um, millennials get this. They have a sense of calling. They know, I love media. I want to make movies. They know, I want to write. I love music. I want to teach. I want to build a school. Millennials get this. They're not so plagued with the calling thing. And we need to get over that, uh, baby boomers and others that are older than that generation so that you don't hold them back with false paradigms from uh, back in our days. And what we're going to do with this calling, 
We're going to start tracking with this now. Right here, we're kind of all caught up. So we got a calling. We just fell the lie. The sacred versus secular, right? And so now, wow, what is this calling? It's, it's more than getting in the car and coming and going every day to a Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. It is that. It, it is praying for the people that you're going to see when you get there. It is doing that Bible study, however you're going to do it. It's primarily engaging with the holy. When you begin to unpack the awesome, holy nature of your calling and that God has you on assignment. Everybody say, I'm on assignment. assignment. That changes how do you go to work every day. That changes what happens when you get to work. That changes how you solve problems. That changes how you treat the people in your workplace. Now, it doesn't mean you have to get up on the cafeteria table and preach the word of God. Uh, We've been our own worst enemy so many times trying to do this thing of being a Christian in the marketplace. And we've gotten a lot of weirdness out there because of it. It's simply uh, going to work with the presence of God on you and bringing peace in a meeting bringing resolution to a conflict, bringing a God solution to a problem. The language you use, you will get very adept at modifying for the the listener. It's God who can fix the heart. It's the Holy Spirit who will give you grace and wisdom. It's not a formula either. And um, a lot of people I talk to about these kinds of ministries, they're like, oh, so you do this, this, and this program. You do this, this, and this Bible study. All those things are great, but it's not just that. It's something that's going to happen in here, in you. It is engaging. What is engaging? It's talking. It's back and forth. It's being in a meeting and operating on several levels. I've been in board meetings where I've got an agenda and I've got proposals being laid out and people in uh, corporate sector and educational sectors working on uh, curriculum plans to solve employment needs. It's a God thing. It's holy. The work is holy. It's in a public institution. And I'm praying as I work and God's guiding me as I work. And he shows you how bold to be or how undercover to be in every situation because he is the Holy Spirit. And you will watch incredible things happen. I don't have time to unpack my whole story about that today, but it's included in a lot of my teaching. In fact, God gave me a 12-year experience really as a prototype for uh, times such as this that I could lay out for you. Uh, how it worked for me. It's a story. You'll see some things in it that apply to you. You'll see some things in it that you're going to tweak and they'll work a little differently. But it all starts with engaging with the holy. Who's going to do the great exploit? The people who know their God. Who's going to know their God? The people who talk to him. The people who pray to him. People who sit before him. The people that unpack the word with the Holy Spirit. Say, what is God saying over our region and at this time? And so engaging with the holy is a lifestyle. It's not a scheduled activity. And so it's every day rolling out of bed. Oh, God, what do you want to do today? Oh, God, let's look at these problems coming up. These kids who need provision. These students who need learning. These people who need jobs. The uh, banner over my home county in Texas prior to moving to Kansas City eight years ago. The banner over that community means the arms of God. 
and the county is Brazosport County, and there's the Brazos River that runs through. I had a large corporate learning center institution that I got to create and run, and one day I heard an economic development director in, in this building say, Brazos means the arms of God. And I was like, yes, that's right. And our institution was serving the arms of God, educating people, bringing them into a profession, giving them a way to make a living. Uh, there were people in adults in jobs who learned skills with reading and application that actually a side benefit was they could do homework with their kids at night. And, and there were just uh, people that would come in the building in this public institution, and I, I used to like to watch them walk in because there was just a holy hush over the building. Some didn't know what it was, but it invited them into what? The presence of God. Why? Because it's a Christian organization? No. Not by name, but was run by a praying woman. So all of you have that opportunity in the way that it should work out in your assignment available to you. And what I want to do today is paint a picture for how you can step into that. And I also want to show you how you can help millennials step into it. Did you know that by 2025, millennials will be 75% of the workforce? So things are going to work a little differently. Get your blueprints from God. Back up just one second, if we can. Get your blueprints from God. David inquired of the Lord how to go into battle. You remember that? And sometimes the Lord said, send the singers out first. Sometimes the Lord said, listen for the sound of the marching in the top of the mulberry trees. It wasn't just cookie cutter. But David was a key governmental figure who was doing what? Inquiring of the Lord. Inquiring of the Lord. That's what I call getting blueprints from the Lord. In prayer one time, I saw bunches of blueprints just raining down from heaven. And they were rolled up real neat and tidy. And they were labeled on the outside with names of countries, names of regions. I believe there's a blueprint like that for Rockford that you're praying into, that you're discerning as your leaders continue to communicate and go to God. So you inquire of the Lord, and then you bring heaven to earth. How do you bring heaven to earth? In prayer meetings? Yes. And going to work Monday through Friday and bringing the presence of God? Yes. And so uh, I want you to see that these are related. They're intertwined. Uh, my prayer room in Texas was in my house and in my church uh, in evenings when we would open it up. But I didn't quit praying just because I got in the car and went to work. And so uh, there's a prayer room in you. It's not about a room, okay? It's about uh, a dialogue. It's about engaging with the holy. All right, let's go. Um, Let's go past that. Okay, so can it be, just think about this. Can it be that a man or a woman available to God, everybody say, I'm available to God. God. (laughs) Um, May synergistically partner with him. Now, what in the world does that mean? Synergistically, dynamically. What's the only constant anymore? Change. Got to be a live link here. You can't just get a plan and run with it the rest of your life. You're going to have some core principles that serve you well, some core verses that you're going to operate with, but you got to be fast on your feet. You got to be adaptable. You got to be ready to move. You got to be fluid. The world is changing. The world is a different place. If you are not so connected to the holy, if you are not so in tune with what the Lord is wanting you to do and remaining that 
in connection with the Lord, you're not going to be able to navigate well in the days to come. We will not do great exploits for a God we hardly know. So getting to know God, that's a lifetime assignment. And so as you work with that, you're going to partner with God in your work, which is your calling to bring transformational results from heaven to earth. What is transformation? Transformation is a scalable idea, a scalable reality. Transformation could be simply changing the atmosphere with the way you handle communications in your job. I'll give you a quick example. Just three years ago, my brother was very ill, and I took him into a hospital in Houston um, to try to navigate a very large medical system that he had not been able to navigate on his own. And literally hundreds of people are in the waiting rooms at Ben Taub Hospital, Houston, Texas, waiting to be seen. My brother is about to be diagnosed with a disease that would take his life within a matter of weeks. We didn't know what was wrong. We knew something was very wrong. And so uh, my husband helped me. We had my brother in a wheelchair. We go in, get this, our name in the queue. And I'm just telling you, the atmosphere was almost paralyzing. The devastation, the level of need, the gravity of uh, the illness and the desperation everywhere. It was, you could just taste it and feel it. It just almost uh, would lay, lay you out. It, it was incredibly uh, toxic. And uh, because my brother was so ill, we actually got called up sooner rather than later. So we rolled him right up to the receptionist, and uh, she turned, and she looked at him, and she locked eyes with him as though he was the only person in that whole hospital. And she said, hi, lovey. She said, what's your name? And in the matter of 10 seconds, changed the atmosphere within three square feet of her desk that I will love her forever for because it touched my brother. That's transformation. That's transforming the atmosphere. Sometimes transformation is bringing a business solution. It's a finance plan. Sometimes it's an anointing uh, over a teaching or a lesson plan if you're a teacher. Sometimes it's something that goes on in a city or in a region. So I want everyone to understand transformation it's possible for me. Everybody say that. Transformation is possible for me. So, yes, you're transformed, but now guess what? Repeat this. I can bring transformation by the power of God by engaging with the holy every day. So are you getting the feel of this? It's not something so mighty that it takes millions of dollars to do. Some things will, and you will walk in that. But some things are a simple conversation that actually transform the atmosphere. All right, let's go. Um, so definition, I'm going to give you a definition of a transformational leader believer. Uh, some people have a little trouble saying they're a leader. Why do we do that? Lots of reasons. But I just want to tell you right now, you're a leader. Uh, you're in the kingdom of God. Everybody leads someone. We lead at different levels. We have different spheres of authority. But by virtue of the fact that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and God's given you an assignment, 
there's some leadership that you need to step into. And so I say that uh, for this definition, uh, a man or a transformational leader, believer, is a man or woman who partners with God in all arenas of life and work, bringing God's solutions and delivering impact to them, to those around them. That makes sense? Okay, well, let's add to that a little bit. Next slide. So the transformational leader believer is a priest? I think so. Um, first, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of ways to view the earth and God's creative uh, ways. And, you know, we can look at tribes and tongues. We can look at nations. We can look at regions, right? Sometimes I actually, when I pray, I think of the marketplace as a great and mighty nation. It's a movement of people dispersed throughout the earth in all spheres of society. And there are so many believers that are asleep on assignment because they don't know they have a calling. They don't know they're supposed to have the light on Monday through Friday. Oh, they think their job is to do what? Write the check to the church, right? And so you want to write the check to the church but you want to have your calling full on being lived out Monday through Friday, bringing his marvelous light. Let's go again. So impact your team, your group, your associates. Everybody has somebody they deal with. For some of you, it's virtual. Some of you, it's in an office. Some of you work in a cube. But let me show you how it worked for me. I love these people. I can tell you things about these people in their lives right now. I'm still in relationship with the people that I hired in 1992 to build this corporate learning center. And um, I'm down on the left there, second from the left. And on the second row, I'm trying to point to Linda Thompson. If you, on the very back row, count one, two, three, and right there, Linda Thompson. Had me come to her house when I was on a trip to Texas just a month ago because all of a sudden we, I, it was all of a sudden for me to understand that her husband was on his deathbed. And do you know who, she, who he wanted to see? He wanted me. I'm Linda's boss. I hired Linda. And, and she went through inner healing in my office in a public college in the midst of doing the things we do. And many marketplace people are leaving their ministry unfulfilled, trying to get out and get on the mission field because they don't understand they're in a mission field. And so uh, I'm not trying to talk you out of your calling. I'm trying to talk you into your calling 100%. Just know your calling. Amen. And so people in this picture that I know and love, I watch go through divorces, illnesses, problems with children, financial issues, um, their own professional development, which I got to make professional development plans with all of these people to see them run in their power alley, which was such a blast. And um, it was my church, my ministry. Why? Because God put me there, because I was a praying woman, prayed about every hire, asked the Lord how to run the thing, and he showed me. And these are the things, a lot of them that I have uh, in here that I've captured because the same Holy Spirit wants you to run strong in what you have to do. You may be the coffee barista. You may be the front desk receptionist. You may be like the woman in the hospital who changed everything for a dying man and a sister 
who loved him so much and was heartbroken. And with her very words and countenance could just look him in the face and speak life that created a little three-foot diameter ring of hope around us. I spoke last week to a group in Kansas of uh, behavioral health professionals, a state training thing. You know, their hearts are very heavy. They're psychiatrists, they're counselors, they're administrative people, they're caseworkers in a field that is uh, very, very demanding. Their budgets are low, their case load is high, and it's very, the main problem is for them to stay motivated because there is so much need that it's devastating to them. And um, when I told them the story about my brother, the lights came on for them because everybody's got a mouth. Everybody can say something. Everybody can bring hope to the person in front of you. And so I want you to not disqualify this material for yourself just because you say, well, I'm in a hard industry. You don't know my life. You don't know my work. You don't know what I'm up against. Well, I, I don't, honestly, but, I, but God does. And if he's assigned you there, he's got a job for you. Look at this, Mark 6, 56. I love this verse. See, we think, okay, somebody's sick. Let's get them to the prayer meeting for prayer, for healing. Look what Jesus did. Wherever he went, wherever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick out in the marketplace. Marketplace people, the sick are laid out around you every day, Monday through Friday. The depressed, the broken, the hurting, the searching, the lost, they are laid out on pallets all around you. And often we nod and smile and say the courteous thing, walk right past the dying person to do our job because we have forsaken our calling. In Jesus' day, the sick were laid out in the marketplace, and it's no different today. And look how hungry they are. They begged him. They begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. We know the story about the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Do you know that you carry the presence of Jesus? You have the opportunity to carry it more. We all do. Into that marketplace in such a way that you will recognize the begging cry on the heart of the person that is sitting right across the table from you in a negotiation or in a meeting or in a team meeting. I have had some marvelous encounters in the marketplace when I was traveling for negotiation of training contracts because God showed me a hurting heart and because the Lord just gave me the right questions to ask and they were so ready to just spill the beans on how devastated they were. I've gotten emails from people in corporate settings who said, you know, it's so refreshing to see the spiritual in the workplace again. It's so wonderful to not live this compartmentalized, chopped up life, but to understand I'm a whole person and God wants to treat all of me. And this is the opportunity you have, Mark 6:56, to come and go from your work in a whole new realm of power, a whole new realm of ministry, yes, because you're in full-time ministry too, because the sick are laid out all around you and they are begging for a touch from God. Go. Go. 
I'm going to talk to you about millennials. Who are these millennials? We keep talking about them. Uh, I'm going to tell you how you can recognize them. You know what they really want? They want to make the world a better place. These stats are from a leadership journal studying uh, millennials and how they live and how they work and what they want. They want to make the world a better place. And they are the future of whatever is going to happen in this country. Despite struggling with debt, recession, and jobs, job crises, millennials, who will account for 75% of the workforce in 2025, are not necessarily motivated by money. Rather, they aim to make the world more compassionate. They love innovation and entrepreneurship, and they want to make things sustainable. They don't want to waste time. They want to do something, do it right. They want it to last. They want to do a work that's going to stay on the ground. Does this sound pretty close to how we might want to bring transformation in the earth? Do you see that we've got the ticket uh, to fuel millennials to actually do what, what God's created them to hunger for right now? They may not know the exact answer comes in building an earth that's going to glorify God. The whole earth is going to praise God and glorify God. Now, it'll happen when Jesus comes back again in full measure, but we better quit waiting for everything to happen then because we're leaving way too much on the table. You've got a level of transformation to bring. Everybody say, I've got a level <laughs> of transformation to bring. So are you going to do it or not? Are you still sitting on the edge of your seat inside? Yeah? Okay, I need you to help me drive this thing home. All right, uh, more than 50% of millennials say they would take a pay cut to find work that matches their values, while 90% want to use their skills for good. Wow. Ripe, fertile field for transforming the marketplace. What else do millennials want? They want to be valued. Uh, four things they say would make them happy at work. To feel cared for, to have purposeful work, to focus. They're careful with their time. They want to say, this is what I'm doing. And they want to bring some focus and priority to it. And they're very, very, very clear about life balance. Okay? Let's go again. They want to learn and grow. They want uh, mentors, growth plans. And my title for that is a journey map. That's what I do with people I coach. I help them create a life journey map. Call it what you want. You need a plan for your life to bring forth your vision. It won't just drop in your lap. People who say, well, if that's God's will, it'll just happen. I don't necessarily think that's the way I, I uh, have watched it play out. Yes, he has a plan, but it's a what? Partnership. Okay, so there's a part you do, and there's a part God does. And it requires both if it's a partnership. God's not a silent partner. So millennials will actually work very hard when you're serious about investing in their skills development, helping them find out what they're good at and helping them grow in that. They want to learn. They want somebody to teach them. And uh, <laughs> look at this last couple of lines. They want the on-the-ground experience to happen today, not tomorrow. They want things faster. They want to lead faster. They want to be in co-leadership. They want to understand and be a decision-maker right away. They want to put in their time. You know, it's not the... Old days where people were willing to work 30 years for one company and draw a retirement check and maybe climb up a couple of levels in the company. Those days are over. Now, millennials have a sense of calling to some field in the, in the earth that they want to change. And it's possible now with YouTube, Facebook, social media, right? You can get discovered in a minute. And so everybody's got a platform. So you don't have to go by the old rules of trying to go through a laborious uh, 
effort to get a song published or a book published. It's like, publish it, do it, put it out. And so they're empowered from the get-go, but they have a strong sense of calling, and they call it that, a calling to influence uh, some of these areas, one or two primarily is what I usually see. So it's a perfect setup. It's a perfect setup for us to empower millennials to uh, bring their calling forth in their mountain of society. Here's another thing. Uh, you've seen the huge rise in uh, various kinds of social justice issues, right? You know, and a lot of them don't necessarily name the name of Jesus. I mean, they're good for good's sake. And so there's a whole realm of thought on that. But, but the point I want to focus on is simply that they, don't, they say, don't talk about having an impact. Do it. Show me. And I love that because uh, really the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the evidence. You know, Elisha worked with Elijah, right? Elijah was his mentor. And he was tenacious about learning from Elijah. Every time Elijah said, look, I've got to go over here to Bethel, you stay here. He's like, I'm not leaving your side. I mean, he was right there. And Elijah tried three times to keep him back while he went on a special assignment. And it's like he would not be deterred. And when asked, he said uh, what he wanted. He knew what he wanted. He said, I want a double portion of your anointing. The millennials are bold. They want a, a double portion. And they're not afraid to ask for it. And so they want it sooner rather than later. Uh, they have an identity that they get in their work, not, not in a negative sense, but in a sense of fulfilling their vocari, fulfilling their calling in their vocation. Uh, most of them will stay three to five years at a place, not 30 years. And so when they are in a company, uh, they will look for a, uh, some type of coaching that will help them make the best, year, best use of that three to five year stint and then land strong in the next assignment. So they're not telling you they'll be there forever. But this, this is not just what they look for in a job. It's what they're looking for in the church. And I'm going to show you a stat about that in just a second here. Um, this, is, this top part is a little bit disturbing. And uh, it's sort of a profile that, that you might draw of millennials. Uh, faced with a lot of college debt. And they don't trust big institutions. Back in the day, if we saw a big institution, we're like, oh, they must really be solid. They're really growing. That's wonderful. Well, these kids have heard about Enron and everything else, moral failures in the church, corruption in the government. They're like, oh, big institution? Uh, I don't think so. They do not trust big institutions. And uh, they marry later in life, live with their parents longer. And this fourth thing, I just hate that this is the terminology a lot of people are using, but um, they're saying, you know, a lot of these millennials, it's been like failure to launch. You know, they just couldn't get out the door, just couldn't get out on the plan. That's how some people that are baby boomers or older generations speak of them. And you know what? I've just unpacked for you what they want. They want to be valued. They want to be seen. They want to be developed. And they want to contribute to society, but they'd like to do it right the first time. And so as we look at the millennial generation, uh, here's an interesting stat. Those of you that are pastors or have churches or in church leadership, 
George Varna says that of the millennials who stay in church, it's because why? Church helps me unpack how the Bible relates to my work. Now, see, if we would have read that a long time ago, we would have thought that was a terrible, terrible reasoning. But it's not. It's how the whole thing is set up. The Lord put a call in your heart. The Lord's got his own storyline he's developing in history, and you get to play a part. And if you feel like a number, if you feel like just another cog in the wheel, you can't sustain that kind of momentum to do your job but if you get in touch with your calling and say, this is what my God made me to do. This is when my God brings me alive in the best way. I want to run in my calling. God meets me in it every day. I engage with the holy every day. What could be better? I want to be where God's bringing life on that. Uh, there's some discussion about two different kinds of churches. And one is a church that operates uh, like a cruise ship. It's a destination, it's a cruise, lots of things to do, lots of programs, lots of things to buy. Mega churches have sucked the life out of little churches in these last several years. These churches have become like destination cruise ships. And the stats are saying they're not teaching people how to pray. They're not teaching people how to relate to God. They're teaching people how to come back and back and back for programs and programs and programs and build what? A big institution. There are other churches that are structured to be a vehicle. Take that person from where they are straight into the heart of God. Learning to engage with the holy. Learning to commune with God in their work. And these churches that are set up this way will be attracting millennials like crazy as these uh, values are exemplified in the way that they relate to their church. So as a spiritual leader today, think about the millennials you have opportunity to touch. Show them how life works with this book right here. And show them how this works Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Quit trying to make little preachers and little missionaries. Make marketplace people that will transform the earth. We're going to transform, I believe... People, God's doing the transforming. We're going to get to watch. We're going to get to have a part. God's going to transform people. God's going to transform cities. And God's going to transform some nations that bring God's glory all over the earth. You want to be a part of that? You want to be a bigger part of that? So I'm thinking that uh, this marketplace awakening will literally change the expression of Christianity in a generation. Why? Because the army's deployed. The people are on their post. We have secretaries, teachers, city hall workers. And I pray for all these people every Monday morning from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. at the House of Prayer uh, GPR. You can get online. Diane Bickles opens this up with a great devotional prayer. And then you'll usually hear me pray for men and women. That's you. I'm talking about you when I say that. In every sphere of society, all over the globe. Bringing the transformation of Jesus Christ in the marketplace where the sick are laid out. Begging for a touch from God. Wow. So, um, 
Here's the thing. In the stats on the millennials, many of them have uh, failed to have what we might call a rite of passage. You know, back in the day, graduated from high school, went to college, got married, got a job, got had, had kids, learned, grew up along the way, basically. And now they're waiting because they just want to do it right the first time. And then all these other circumstances that we talked about up here in the stats. I think that the most important thing we can do right now is to give rite of passage to the millennials. And it's not just a blessing. It's not just a prayer line. It's saying, I'm going to look around and find some millennials to disciple. I'm going to look around and find some people that can start shadowing me. I'm going to look around and link arms with someone as, who is a millennial who's just looking for a landing place to bring all the stuff inside of them to bear. And the Bible is like jam-packed with the perfect setup for how we're to bring transformation if we can just connect the dots, help them connect the dots. We hope you're loving the Linda Field Show and that these ideas are helping you succeed day by day. We know you're busy and don't always get the resources you need to grow in your development as a spiritual professional. That's why Linda has created True Tribe, a community of learning for men and women who are ready to experience God-made success. You can access helpful classes and put your learning to work by getting started today for just $1. Come on over to truetribe.org slash join and get what's waiting for you inside True Tribe. See you over at truetribe.org slash join.